You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7 today. Uh, So, as you're turning there, let me ask you a question. If someone were to walk up to you and say, I got good news and I got bad news, which you want to hear first. Now, raise your hand if you are a good news first kind of person, like, like, you know, just make me feel good so that I butter me up so that I can like get ready to hear the bad news. Any good news first kind of people out there? Couple, a couple. Okay. Uh, how many of you are a bad news first kind of person? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like rip the bandaid off and then give me the lollipop later to make me feel better, right? How many of you would say, it depends on who's asking and kind of what the context of the question is, how I feel. I'm, I'm totally there, right? Like I, I don't want you to trap me in anything right now. But here's the thing with the gospel. The gospel, generally speaking, is a bad news first kind of message. The gospel is a a bad news first kind of message because you really can't understand the good news until you come to terms with the bad news. We're, We're preaching through the book of Mark and we've called this study the good news. Because that's Mark's intent. It's, it's his purpose to emphasize that now is the time to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. But in order to do that, if, in order to tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we need to be willing to tell the bad news too. Mark is willing to do that. He's going to do that in today. Today's passage. The today, title of today's sermon it is the good news of his purification. And that is accurate, but, but really this sermon might better be called the bad news of our defilements. The bad news of our defilements. In this section, Jesus is going to demonstrate just how deep the problem of sin really goes. And we're going to see that all of our external attempts... And of self-justification and external purification not only don't help, but often they stand in the way of receiving the purification that we really need. So here's our big idea for today. Uh, Get to the heart. Get to the heart. We need an inside-out purification for the inside-out defilement of sin. Get to the heart. We need an inside-out purification for the inside-out defilement of sin. Your Bibles are open to Mark chapter 7. Uh, Just to remind you of the context, if you've been studying with us, uh, David finished a very good sermon last week uh, with a very general passage, a, a transition really, about how the crowds were flocking to Jesus and being healed. And it's something that we've seen over and over in the book of Mark. It's not really a surprise to us. But today, we're going to shift gears and see a very different response to Jesus. 
This section reminds us that, that not everyone held a favorable view of Jesus when he walked this earth. He, he may have had crowds of needy people following him. He may have had people that really loved him, but he also had a religious establishment that opposed him. And spoiler alert, uh, the conflict that we're going to see today eventually leads to the death of Christ. In case you didn't know where Mark was going, it's headed towards the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Mark gives us significant moments of escalation in that conflict all throughout his narrative, and this is one of them. So read with me in Mark chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, they saw that some of the disciples ate with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. For the Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands properly, holding to the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash. And there are many other traditions that they observe, such as washing of cups and pots and copper vessels and dining couches. And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and mother and Whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. And many such things do you do. We're going to actually study all the way to verse 23, but we're going to stop at verse 13 for now. Because in these verses, we identify the fundamental problem between the Pharisees and Jesus. We're going to identify the problem first. External ritual can't purify our defilement. External ritual can't purify our defilement. Really, the problem is as old as sin itself. We humans try to solve the problem of defilement that's caused by sin with methods that can't change the heart. And so these attempts show up in in every other religion in the world. They they show up in the self-help sections of our bookstores and on Amazon. They show up in the talk shows and on special interest news stories. They show up in the criminal justice system and the attempts to reform there. They show up in the psychologist's office. We humans are constantly trying to solve the defilement caused by sin with methods that can't change the heart. 
Now, the word defilement or defiled is not one that we would use often to label the problems that we're trying to solve. But it is the accurate word as we view our sin in relationship to God. Defilement refers to the state of being ritually and morally unclean. So in the Old Testament, defilement was the state of uncleanness that kept you from engaging in society and from worshiping the Lord at the temple. But it was more than just a failure to wash your hands or to to take a bath or to eat the right foods. The state of defilement or uncleanness was a realization that the Lord is holy and His people are called to be holy, pure, spotless, without blemish. But in our natural state, we are far from that condition of perfect purity. And so when the Pharisees come with this question, they aren't just acting like your mom before dinner. Like, did you wash your hands? Make sure you wash your hands before dinner. No, they're being the morality police for Jesus. That's ironic. They're accusing Jesus and his disciples of not caring about holiness. Now, here's the problem. They're they're not making their case based on God's law. They're they're making their case based on the traditions of the elders. It's a very important distinction. They're making their case based on the guys that they've been following to interpret God's law. And so the tradition at that time, probably since the destruction of the first temple, was to take all of the hand-washing and cleansing laws that were applied to the Levitical priests for the temple and to then apply them to everyone in Israel at all times, thus requiring of God's people things that God never required of them. They would make everyone ritually cleanse themselves before eating. And that way, they would wash off all the stuff of everyday life and their hands would avoid the risk of becoming ceremonially unclean. Really, they were doing this so that they would be so pure, so holy, that God would come and rescue them from the oppression of their enemies. This was the way that they thought they were going to get the Messiah to come. Ultimately, it was a misreading of the Old Testament law that assumed that God loved the ritual itself rather than the heart behind the ritual. And it's not just the the hand-washing issue. Mark mentions that they had a whole system of rituals and washings and, and external solutions to the internal heart problem of defilement. And all of this was based not directly on God's law, but on the traditions of the elders. In essence, they were trying to be not just holier than thou, but holier than God. In their pride, they were requiring things of themselves and others that God did not even require. Now, they would have said that what they were doing was just being good fence builders. So here's the theory. Let me draw this for you, okay? So you have um, Joe Israelite or Shmuel or something like that. You have a better Jewish name. 
and, uh, and he's, he's here standing on firm ground, but, but over here is the, the cliff, the precipice of breaking God's commandment. And so what the Pharisee says is, we don't want anyone falling over this precipice. We don't want anybody falling over this cliff. So we're going to take the tradition of the elders, and, and the tradition of the elders is going to act like a fence. My wife is the artist. I'm not. But the tradition of the elders is going to act like a fence. And that way, we don't get anywhere near the edge of the cliff, and therefore, we won't fall into sin. Good theory. It's actually not a bad idea, all in all. Except here's the problem. They forgot that the precipice to fall off the cliff isn't just over here, it opens like a chasm right underneath them. Anywhere a human exists, because sin exists in the human heart. And so their fences couldn't save them from falling off the cliff, because like a sinkhole, it was just opening up right underneath them. External ritual cannot purify our defilement. And so Jesus calls them on it. Uh, first, we see him quote Isaiah 29, 13, calling out their hypocrisy. Verse 6, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Th this passage in Isaiah is critical because it gets to the heart of the issue between the Pharisees and Jesus. The issue it wasn't that they had rituals and traditions. It's that they exchanged the commandments of God for their rituals and traditions. What started as a desire to honor God had become a source of honoring themselves above others. It had become a source of pride. It had become the worship of self, the worship of the ritual itself. It had become a distraction to the true heart of God and His commandments. But Jesus came to purify a people who would genuinely honor and worship God. Who would truly understand the nature of their sin, the nature of their hearts. Get this. The idolatry of their fences, of their traditions, was actually holding them back from receiving true purification through Jesus Christ. Jesus was the only one who ever honored God perfectly because his heart was not just near God, his heart was God's. And he was the one who had come to fulfill the law perfectly on behalf of his people in a way that the Pharisees never could do. And then he would fulfill the law in his people by purifying their heart through his blood and by giving them the Holy Spirit to guide them in all truth. But Israel's religious leaders accused him and his disciples instead of being defiled, of not caring about holiness. And so the Pharisees proved in many ways that they didn't really understand or care about the heart of God. They cared about looking like they cared about the heart of God. There is a massive difference there. And they lost the commandment in the weeds of their tradition. 
Jesus gives another example in verse 10. There was this tradition to, to take a portion of your property or your wealth and to declare it Corbin. It means devoted to God. And so it doesn't mean that it was like given to the temple. It still remained in your possession, but it had to be used for things that were considered holy purposes, set apart. It was an offering to the Lord. Now here's the thing. At times, someone could declare a portion of their property as set apart for God, but then something would come up where you needed it for a very legitimate, uh, very even godly purpose. In this case, Jesus talks about your parents need it. And because of the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother, you would be required by the law of God to care for them. In fact, Jesus points out that according to Leviticus, uh, to not care for your parents would earn you the death penalty. That's how much the fifth commandment is on the heart of God. To not care for your parents is worthy of death. We should take that actually pretty seriously, even today, as we consider honoring our, and caring for our parents. Paul said that if you don't care for your own family, you are worse than an unbeliever. But in the traditions of the elders, uh, what they valued more than the fifth commandment was the commandment to keep an oath, the, the tradition to keep an oath. In other words, you'd never, ever, under any circumstances, no matter what, could break an oath. And so if the council of the elders was to, to judge a case where, where a guy needed to give some property or, or his money to his parents, but he had declared that property Corbin uh, under, under, the, under an oath, they would say, no, you can't give that to your parents. You can't take care of your parents. You must not do that because it would cause you to violate God's commandment. So instead of their tradition helping them to keep the commandment of God, it caused them to actually reject the commandment of God. Do you see how that worked? And Jesus says, many such things do you do. Many such things do you do. The issue in this text is not just the particular problem of not washing your hands before you eat or, or the issue of Corbin and not honoring your father and mother. Uh, the problem is that the Pharisees kept trying to solve the issue of defilement, of, of moral impurity with external solutions, with man-made traditions that ignored the heart of God. And in the process, they rejected the commandment of God. Mark said in verse 4, there are many other traditions that they observe. Jesus said in verse 13, many such things that you do, you do. Mark is pointing out here, I don't want you to focus on these particulars. I want you to extrapolate this principle and understand the problem, identify the problem that external solutions don't solve internal problems. Understand, there are countless ways that we live just like the Pharisees. We humans are constantly trying to come up with external solutions to the inside-out problem of sin, aren't we? It's not just legalists, whatever you would define that as. Like We all do this. We have this innate awareness that there is some standard out there of right and wrong, of good and bad, of pure and defiled. And if we're honest, we, we know that we do some things that might be considered by some 
impure or bad. For many of us, that awareness is brought into even sharper light because we know the law of God. We, we know the Ten Commandments, or at least some of them. We know that we are sinners, generally speaking. But we think that we can build, fix that problem by building fences that keep us from breaking the law of God. Or, or building fences that will make God happy with us. The problem is that we fail to see that, that we're falling deeper and deeper and deeper into the chasm of our own sinful hearts. We fall into the chasm of our own sins of pride and unbelief. And we fail to see that our hearts are still far from the heart of God unless our trust is in Jesus Christ alone. For salvation. And so here's some ways that we do that. We worship with our lips, right? So you, you worship with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. And so we go through the motions of a Sunday morning church or maybe daily quiet time with the Lord. And, and listen, those are not bad things, right? Having a habit, having a ritual, having even a fence where we say, I'm going to put this on the calendar and make sure that I do that. That's, that's not always a bad thing, right? But if we put our hope in those things, to make us clean, we prove our hearts are far from God. If we take pride in our church attendance, or we despair over missing one quiet time with the Lord, thinking that he's, he's mad at us and he must not want us to come back again the next day, we prove that we're missing the heart of God. This is true in our evangelism too. If our, if our concern, if our first question about somebody is, do they or do they not go to church? Rather than do they or do they not know Christ? Then we're demonstrating the heart of a Pharisee. Now, get them to Christ, and then church can find its rightful place in their lives. But church isn't the first concern. Christ is the first concern. Because without Christ, we don't know church. Another example we... Way, the way that we do this, uh, we, put a, we put a filter on our computer and we make rules about what movies we watch. And don't get me wrong, those are generally very good ideas, ones that I often recommend to people, okay? So don't hear me say don't put a filter on your computer. Put a filter on your computer. But if our hearts are not transformed, then new opportunities to lust will still arise from within. Another way we try to purify ourselves is by going through the ritual of, of good deeds to outweigh our bad deeds. So I, I feel bad about something that I did, therefore I'm going to try to do something good to make God or other people happy with me and to make me feel better about myself. One last example. We, the way we sometimes think about prayer of confession. We, we treat confession like it's a ritual, assuming that there's a certain formula to pray through and then God will forgive us. And, and if we just pray that prayer at the right time in the right way, then God is going to be happy with us. And some people will, will even actively pursue sin, knowing that later they're just going to come back and they're going to confess it in just the right way and God's going to forgive them. He's going to have to, right? Because he said he would. Listen, the habit of confession is very important. 
but not as a habit or a ritual itself. It's important as an act of faith that keeps our hearts soft to the Lord and our relationship with Him active. It's not the ritual itself that absolves us from our sin. It's it's the trust in the blood of Christ that is able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We must rightly identify the problem that all of these external rituals that we do cannot purify our defilement. Ultimately, that's because defilement is an internal problem. That's why this is so sneaky. Like all those things that I just mentioned are pretty good ideas, but they don't solve the problem. Defilement is an internal problem. Look at verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So once we understand the problem, identify the problem, then we need to understand the basic principle. What is inside a person comes out and defiles him. So notice that that Jesus starts talking to the people now. We have a a, a change in audience, which means a a change in a little bit of the setting of the way that Mark is telling this story. It's almost like the Pharisees had kind of pulled him aside from all of his teaching and healing work, but but now he's just kind of done with them, and he wants to get this principle out to the masses. Make sure everybody understands this. So he states this uh, kind of like a parable his disciples eventually call it a parable. I think it's a little bit of a stretch, but we'll go with it since it's in the Bible. Uh, there's nothing outside a person that, by going into him, can defile him. Obviously, in the context, he's, he's talking about the external rituals surrounding food and washing. And the Old Testament laws about food, wash, food and, and, and cleansings and all these things weren't merely about the food and washings themselves. They were about the heart that recognized that I need to be set apart as holy to the Lord. The question was, would Israel prove to be a holy people unto the Lord by obeying His law or not? But again, Israel failed to understand the heart of the law and they made it about the rituals over the faith and their hearts abandoned God. And that's because of the utter sinfulness of the human condition. Sin is not merely external to us, it is internal. You could say it's intrinsic to being human. Aside from the perfect human, Jesus Christ. The things that come out of a person are what defile him, Jesus goes on to say. Now, Jesus is not talking about physical things related to food anymore. Uh, he's, he's, not to be crude, he's not talking about vomit or excrement. He's talking about the overflow of our lives. What the Bible sometimes calls the, the fruit or the thorns. And he's saying very succinctly that in our natural condition, we have more than enough inside of us to defile us. You ever feel that? There's more than enough in here to defile me. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. 
who can understand it? This is the most important thing to understand about the bad news if you want to get to the good news. The Hebrew word for desperately sick is incurable. That your heart and my heart, apart from the intervening work of Jesus Christ, is incurable. It's desperately sick. Sin is a stage four cancer of the soul, and any ritual we attempt to cure it is just putting it on hospice. Making it comfortable until the inevitable end. And the reason why external rituals cannot purify our defilement is because defilement is not caused by external forces. It's caused by the sin nature that comes from within. And so I'm, I'm taking an online class right now that is using... Uh, lectures from the late Dr. David Pallison. And so he illustrates this, this principle in, in a way uh, that is very powerful with a, with a very simple water bottle. And see, so he says, if I, if I hit this water bottle, why did water come out? Why did water come out? And, and some might say, well, because you hit it. Because <laughs> the external force of your hand hitting it. That was for you. But there's an, a more fundable, fundamental answer than that. It's, it's so simple that it's profound. The reason that water comes out of the water bottle is because there is water in the water bottle to begin with. If there was gasoline in this bottle and I hit the bottle, gasoline would come out. If there was wine in this bottle and I hit the bottle, wine would come out. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying your, your problem with defilement is not external to you. It's not the cause that makes you defiled. It's what's inside. It therefore cannot be solved by removing all of the external problems. So secular psychology, even some forms of Christian counseling would say, many forms of Christian counseling, by the way, would say the reason that you are acting out in this way, this is the word that they would use instead of sin, right? Acting out. The reason you're acting out in this way is because of your situation. It's because of the way you were raised. It's because of the trauma you experienced. It's because of the external or the empty love tank that, that needs filled because your, your spouse is not satisfying you. And therefore, you, you just need some new rituals. You just need some new therapies. You need some self-care rituals. You need the ritual of, of confronting your parents with their failures. You need the ritual of, of positive affirmations. But Jesus says that we have a much more fundamental problem than that. The reason that we respond to the situations in the way that we do is because of the sin that is inside us, not because of what happened to us. The morally defiling response is the overflow of what is already inside. Now, if you want to understand why that's already inside, come to our 11 a.m. discipleship hour because David and Heidi are going to be teaching on that today. The, the nature of coming from... Oh, the 
the Bograss are going to be teaching that today. All right. But we have an internal problem. And we need a Savior that is greater than new rituals to rescue us. I'm not saying that, that new habits might not help you relate to your Savior better or grow in your knowledge of that Savior. Those are great things. We need, new, we need good patterns of physical health and rest. We need good habits of, of reading the Word and prayer and fellowship. But those things must be driven by a heart that is purified by Christ and therefore is increasingly seeking the heart and glory of God. And if we don't get that part fixed, nothing else, everything else is just going to be shifting chairs on the deck of the Titanic. I'm saying that the habits and rituals and fences we build cannot in themselves purify us. And that is a massive distinction that we must understand if we are going to understand the good news. What is inside a person comes out and defiles him. We, we teach our kids this, don't we? So little Johnny says something that his sister Sally doesn't like. And so Sally winds up and slaps him. And mom comes over and asks little Sally, uh, why did you do that? And, she, and Sally says, because Johnny said something I didn't like. And she puts the blame on the external circumstance. Whatever perceived sin happened against her. And if we, if we just cleansed our lives of Johnny, then I wouldn't sin. But in response, uh, most moms would not say to little Sally, you know what, you're right, honey. Your action was caused by Johnny. I understand where you're coming from, dear. Like, not even in the most secular household would that be the case. I could come back on that statement. Now, you might say something like, instead, I realize that you didn't like what Johnny said, but that does not make it right to hit him. Two wrongs don't make a right. Even more, mom should say, you hit him because of the sinful anger of pride in your heart. And so let's go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness and repent. There's grace for that. What is inside a person comes out and defiles him. It almost seems obvious from an illustration like this, but so often we don't understand the basic principle. In fact, the disciples didn't. Look at verse 17. By the way, there's no 16 in your Bible. You'll notice that. Uh, that's because the numbers were added later. And at the time that the numbers were added, the best manuscripts had a verse 16. And then we found more manuscripts that were better and older. And they didn't have a verse 16. And so now your Bibles don't have a verse 16. And that's okay. But if in case you want to know what verse 16 says, it just says, let he who has ears let him hear which is something that Jesus said very often. So he very well could have said that. And it points to what the rest of the thing is saying. Understand. Understand. So now look at verse 17. Just in case. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from the outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, 
but his stomach and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of a man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All of these things come from within. And they defile the person. So Jesus had left the Pharisees to talk to the crowds. Now he is talking more specifically to the disciples and he's addressing their questions because even though he told everyone clearly understand this, they didn't understand it. We're, we're often blind to our own sinful condition, aren't we? We don't even think in those categories half the time. And so as is typical, he's going to explain more thoroughly. And it's really good for us because then we get to go deeper into the principle. So go deeper. The sinful heart produces all kinds of defiling sin. Jesus spells it out again. Food itself cannot defile a person. Defilement is a matter of the heart. And food enters the stomach, not the heart. Now Jesus is playing on words here a little bit because he's, he's kind of comparing the stomach, the, the organ, to the, to the heart, which is also an organ. But the heart is much more than that in the first century mindset, Jewish mindset. Really, he's talking about the heart in terms of our whole personhood, in terms of our life source. He's talking about the inner man that animates you, body and soul. He's talking about the part by which you relate to God who created you, or don't relate to God who created you. Unlike secular philosophy and psychology, the Bible does not view human beings as globs of matter or the sum total of all the chemical processes that are going on in our bodies. The Bible describes the, the core of our being as the heart. The, the term is all-inclusive. A lot of times we think of heart just relating to our emotions, but the, the heart in the Bible is all-inclusive. It, it, it includes other terms like mind and body and soul and spirit and conscience. It's the whole of our personhood. That's the heart. And it's your, your heart that relates to God or, or that goes after God replacements. Alistair Groves talks about the heart being vertical. The heart is the factory of our worship. And so Jesus says, what comes out of a person, from out of the heart of a man, that's what defiles. Because our hearts are sick, because our hearts are incurable, they produce cancerous forms of worship, of idolatry. John Calvin wrote in the Institutes of Christian Religion, what man's nature, so to speak, is a perpetual factory of idols. I love that word picture. Just like, imagine like the, the Ricky and Lucy, uh, you know, the Lucille Ball and, and Ethel, right? Lucy and Ethel, the chocolates are going by and they can't eat them fast enough, right? The heart is a perpetual factory of idols. And that sinful, false worship comes out in all sorts of defiling ways. Jesus gives a pretty extensive list of disgusting sin that the heart produces. Uh, evil thoughts. So just the thought that entertains what God hates, 
That defiles us. Sexual immorality, any, any kind of sexual thought or act towards someone else who you're not married to. Theft. Stealing. Taking anything that's not yours. Or keeping something that you are legally or morally obligated to give to someone else. Murder. Of course, Jesus says in Matthew 5 that even thinking hateful thoughts, calling someone a fool is, is an act of murder. Adultery. Uh, this is sexual immorality that is particularly applied to the marriage covenant. It breaks the marriage covenant. And so again, Jesus says in Matthew 5 that the lust is the same as adultery. Coveting. Did you, did you ever demand something for yourself that someone else had? Want that. Want that. And that desire turns into a demand. Uh, wickedness. That's unrestrained evil thoughts or actions. Deceit. Uh, making others think one thing about you or about something else when another is really true. Do you ever try to make yourself look better than you are? Deceit. Sensuality. Indulging your emotional impulses. Whether giving into angry violence or sexual pleasure or gluttony. Envy. It's a resentment of what another person has that you don't have. It's a little different than coveting. You resent the person for having it. Slander. Talking bad about someone else. Tearing down their reputation. Pride. Thinking of yourself too much. Whether a high or low focus on self. Foolishness. Failing to apply the knowledge of God to any circumstance. All of that comes out of the heart of a man or woman. I feel like I just went into my bathroom drain and like got all that nasty, guppy hair and junk. Just pulled it right out all to see. That's the way that lists make me feel, right? And it's not the, wor that the world that causes that. And Jesus says it's not even your circumstance that causes that. And it's not, even, it's not even the temptations that are out there that cause that. All of that comes from within. From within the heart of man. Has anyone committed one of those sins in the past week? Have those fruits come out in any way in your life this week? I'd imagine there's not a person here who could say that at least one of those sins did not at least make an appearance in your heart this week. And Jesus says these sins defile a person. Remember, defilement means that we are not pure before a holy God. 
It means that we cannot enter into his presence. It means that we cannot fellowship with God's people. And so the question is, how can any of us sit here today and claim to honor God? How can we seek to worship Him with our lips and not be a hypocrite? I don't think that's a question we ask often enough. Too often we, we see this church thing, this Christian walk thing, as, as kind of a favor we do for God. Like we treat it like God should be quite happy with me because I chose to spend my precious time with His people on a Sunday. God should be quite happy with me that I did my devotions today or whatever it was. When we really should be asking, how is it possible that I, even I, get to stand here and sing praises to a holy God and cry out to Him and He actually hears me and and I get to hear Him speak through His Word and I get to gather and fellowship in one heart with His people. And we've already seen that the answer to that question cannot be because I was able to purify myself with external rituals. We cannot escape the question by trying to justify ourselves, by pointing to how good we are at fulfilling our own traditions and standards. The truth is that this passage doesn't immediately address the answer to this question of how we can be purified when we are so defiled. Mark just kind of lets the, the truth of the basic principle sit there. What is inside of a person comes out of him. The sinful heart produces all kinds of defiling sin. But we have to remember that this bad news sits there within the context of a whole book of good news. It sits within the context of a book where Jesus repeatedly eats with tax collectors and sinners. It it sits in a context of a book where Jesus draws near to people who are in desperate need of his saving power. It sits within the context of a book where Jesus preaches the good news of repentance and forgiveness of sin. And this bad news passage rests within the context of the good news of Mark where we see Jesus go to the cross and shed his blood for our sin and where he rises again for our justification. And the book of Hebrews interprets that sacrificial death of Christ in this way for us. Flip over now in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 9 for just a couple of minutes as we close. Chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer 
sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now, I'm not going to go into a whole sermon to preach this text. But I do want to leave you with this point today. The good news. Jesus fulfilled the law and made inside-out purification for sin. What rituals, according to the traditions of men, could definitely never accomplish. What even the Old Testament law was not designed to accomplish. God himself sent his son, very God, a very God, a very man, a very man, to accomplish it on our behalf. And the author of Hebrews says that what the blood of bulls and goats under the Old Testament law could only superficially and temporarily purify, they could only purify the flesh, external purification, true external purification, not just the traditions of mankind. Christ secured an eternal redemption. An eternal redemption. He purified not only our external flesh, but our internal heart, our internal conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And here's what that means. It means that the Old Testament law was perfectly and completely fulfilled by Jesus Christ on our behalf. Mark actually hints at this in verse 19 when he says, thus he declared all foods clean. Isn't that a weird little thing to throw in there? But, but he's saying that we don't have ceremonial food laws anymore because Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was so effective, so complete, so purifying that the ceremonial laws were unnecessary to keep any longer. It was really important to the audience that Mark was writing to because they were dealing with that issue. And for Jesus to secure an eternal redemption means that he had to wash our hearts, not just our hands. He had to purify and reorient our worship factories so that we would no longer defile ourselves with idolatrous sin. And this means that all of that list of sin that we read earlier, while we still wrestle with it, it no longer has power to define us. And it no longer has power to enslave us. We can now turn and worship God and act righteously. Jesus made the once for all atonement for sin and covered all of our guilt and shame, past, present, and future. He purified defiled persons with his own blood. And because of that redemption, the author of Hebrews says that we can then serve the living God just like the Levitical priests served in the temple day after day, we are now get to go right into the presence of the living God and worship Him accordingly. More and more, our hearts will produce good fruit. Our hearts will produce fruit that is born of the Holy Spirit and in keeping with repentance. And we will be able to draw near to Him. We can draw near to Him at any given moment with pure hearts and a clean conscience claiming the blood of Christ and seeking his purification of our sin. We get to actually obey 
Christ from the heart. Not, not trying to manipulate him. We, we tell the good news of Jesus Christ without hypocrisy because we are not proclaiming ourselves or our own goodness. We're proclaiming the redeeming work of Jesus Christ in his life and death and resurrection. See, we've got to understand the bad news first. But that makes the good news all the better, doesn't it? I, I pray that you would come to terms with the bad news today. Pray that you wouldn't look away from that list of guilt and shame. Identify the problem. E external ritual is not going to help it. Understand the principle. What is inside comes out and defiles. Go even deeper that, than that and name it. Call it what it is. The sinful heart produces all kinds of defiling sin. But then once you come to terms with the bad news, I pray that you would believe, trust, embrace the good news today. Jesus fulfilled the law and he provided the ultimate purification for sin. He is our only hope for salvation. And he wants to transform you from the inside out. And if you're seeing this for the first time in this light today, you, you, and you're seeing your sin and the light has been cast upon that, you need to turn from it. You need to repent. You need to turn from the idols that are producing the defiling sin of your heart. You need to turn away from any vain attempts to save yourself. And you need to trust that Jesus died in your place to forgive you of your sin. And by his free grace, he offers an eternal redemption and the forgiveness of sin. And if you're seeing your sin for the millionth time today, pray that you would do the same. And in the freedom that Christ offers, I pray that you would turn and serve the living God this week. And draw near to you. Full assurance of peace. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.